to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. A town sheriff and a regular patron of a historical whorehouse fights to keep it running when a television reporter targets it as the Devil's Playhouse. <laughs> oh goodness, I was not prepared for this. It's it's a wild experience for sure. Yes, and uh, another Dolly Parton film, and uh, on our last one, uh, our guest AJ coined the phrase, leave Dolly alone, and that's applicable here too. So in order to go through this, we need to have a guest. David, who's our guest? Our guest, co-host of the Chimera Pod and Exquisite Lich, it's Vin LeBate. Vin, welcome back to a different show. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me on. Uh for exclusively southern themed content so far <laughs> that's true that is a theme very southern themed content i'm not sorry <laughs> we went from tennessee pony to tennessee royalty and i've never been south of virginia <laughs> well here you go then you, you need to come to texas we have the good tacos oh that's true and the best little whorehouse in texas so um had anybody seen this movie before? Nope. Nope. <laughs> no. It's it's one of those things that's been on my radar for pretty much my entire life. And I always think I, mean, I the should name watch is... that. Yeah. Yeah. The and name think... alone is going to get you intrigued, right? Yeah. Sure. And I think I should watch that sometime. It was something that I think like my mom had watched because she was into Dolly Parton. Um, but like I just never did. And I'm glad I finally got the chance because this is really fun. If bonkers. It's fucking weird yeah it's very it's very fucking weird okay i was i was not prepared for this at all i like i i i was not prepared for a musical <laughs> i was prepared for the broad concepts but not the specifics down to the first voice that you hear in the film not prepared <laughs> well um having known david for eight billion years that particular voice is a voice that david does a lot surprise <laughs> surprise surprise yeah, so yes <laughs> well hi y'all it's jim neighbors yeah <laughs> one of the several people who steals the show in this film oh my god that alone makes this movie gomer pile being the hapless narrator really really made this movie infinitely more watchable because i'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that while this movie was entertaining, whew, it's kind of a hot mess. Yeah, structurally, it's extremely weird. <laughs> it's it's not good. So here's the thing. like They're clearly reverse engineering a musical out of something here. Mm -hmm. Because like it almost seems more like a play with music mm -hmm. than it does a musical. Because there's not a whole lot of through line. But I think the bigger problem is that they make these musical numbers way too long and way too big. And not just the musical numbers. Every scene in this movie is like 12 minutes long. Yeah. Like there's <laughs> there's one scene we'll get to where it's like the scene has gone on for eight minutes and then there's a musical number. Well, every single piece of music has to have a, a dance solo. It reminds me of all the Rodgers and Hammerstein crap where we have to have the ballet sequence where I'm like, I don't need 20 minutes of this crap. Yes, except I do love uh, football Aggies in tight jeans. I, yeah, I like love... that's the thing is that when we got there, I did need 20 minutes of that crap because it was amazing. I loved that. I love the introduction to the chicken ranch and it's very and, and all of uh, the sex workers. And, uh, like I love the introduction to all of them, and they're like they're happy to be here. Like they're excited. Like this is great. I I liked those sequences of all the extra dancing, but other times it was too much. It just goes on forever, and it it doesn't feel like a cohesive musical. Which is funny because I think mm. like this did have a little bit of a life in revival, I know. Oh, it um, did. The musical was revived and it and it made the rounds for quite some time. And I have to assume that they did some editing. <laughs> My understanding is that yeah, they did a lot of changes to the script, mm -hmm. including like the whole romance, which is uh new. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds like something a studio would do. 
But at the same time, infinitely entertaining. Because that that is the one thing about this movie. You can't say that it's not trying. Yeah, it's watchable as hell. <laughs> oh, it's entertaining. Yeah. It, it it plays. And, you know, leave Dolly alone. Leave Dolly alone. Just leave her alone. Every time. Well, the budget for this film was $35 million. It opened to $11.9 million. It globally grossed $69,700,000. It was the most successful movie musical of the 1980s. Not a high bar because there weren't a whole lot of musicals in the 80s. True. And the ones that there were were weird. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Although some of those are some of like the most critically acclaimed musicals of all time. But, you know. Yeah, like that's where you get like a little shop of horrors, which is a thing. I'm also thinking Kiss of the Spider Woman. Still weird. Yeah. Yeah. And this is weird, but it's also, it's got such star power. Like that alone will sell most people on it. Mm -hmm. And that leads us straight into our writing. So the play and screenplay were written by Larry L. King and Peter Masterson. This is the only thing that they've ever wrote, though Peter Masterson has acted and directed on occasion. But Larry L. King was a journalist who wrote a Playboy article which brought the story to international attention because this is loosely, I have to assume, based on a true story. There was an actual Texas chicken ranch that was visited by some of the most prominent Texas politicians and movers and shakers all throughout the 20th century. What do we think of the writing of this movie? It's not great. (laughs) It's, well... So structurally, it's a mess, but there's a lot of times where I think the moment to moment writing is really good, or at least like, especially in its context, better than I would expect from this kind of thing going in. I feel like this movie is trying to capture spectacle and it keeps pushing more, more, more instead of being like, no, make your spectacle really good so that it's great in the moments we have it and tighten it up. I feel like that's our problem. That's also a director problem. Yeah. Well, Lyriel King was vehemently opposed to the film's story changes, mm-hmm. which means they didn't go with his story. They went with Colin Higgins' story. Mm. Uh-oh. He was also opposed to the casting of Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton, both of whom he publicly vilified on numerous occasions. He went so far as to provoke Burt Reynolds into a fist fight during a 1982 Playboy article. Well, he can just die mad about that, okay? (laughs) Although that is like the most 80s story is provoking Burt Reynolds into a fist fight involving Playboy. Burt Reynolds said he was game to the Austin American statesman, but uh, nothing actually happened out of that. That is also a very Texan thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Burt Reynolds. Jeez. It's a mess, right? It's a giant fucking mess. It is a mess. And now it makes me go, okay, well, then I do need to see the musical. So the original Broadway production opened at the 46th Street Theater in 1978. It ran for 1,584 performances. That's not bad. And the musical was nominated for the 1979 Tony Award for Best Musical and the 1979 Tony Award for Best Book of a Musical. So you know this all comes down to screenplay writing. I looked this up, too. Okay. It was also nominated for Best Actor, Best Actress for Tony, and it won those. Ooh, okay. Who, though? Who? I don't know. People, I don't know. Oh, okay. No, nobody we've heard of. Darn. Uh, yeah. Darn, not, darn. Not, not names we know very well, but it won those, so. <sighs> okay. This is a classic case of Hollywood taking Adaptation. a property that's really strong and trying to Hollywood it up too much. It's a bad adaptation, David. It's a bad adaptation. Y'all get used to that term. You're going to hear it more. It is assuming we trust the Tonys. I, I, I have more faith in the Tonys. I have more faith in the Tonys than Hollywood, for damn than, sure. Yes, than other award shows. There's less politicking. It's there, but there's less of it. It's a low bar. It's a much lower bar. <laughs> Knowing that she'd be starring opposite Burt Reynolds, it was Dolly Parton's idea to have Miss Mona and the Sheriff romantically involved. But she did face harsh criticism from the screenwriter and critics 
for the deviation from the real life story that inspired the film. I don't care. <laughs> no, but like, okay, if they're not involved, they have to interact the whole movie and then they have to get together at the end. Otherwise, you don't care. Yeah, it would make for a, a weird film. I don't think so. Because I think the whole point is she's stronger than that. Well, She doesn't fair. need a man. Hmm. No, I, I totally respect and get that. Other, because here's the thing. If that's the case, then the whole movie, the whole story needs to take place at the chicken ranch. And it's all about her, which this story is not. Well, and I, and I bet you, if we knew the musical, that's probably the case. <laughs> Well, we don't know the musical. That that story was not written by a lady, so you know it's not. Yeah, fair. Uh, like, come on. It's not about her. And it's not about whoever's been running the chicken ranch. So it's not. <laughs> I guarantee you, it's not. I do agree, though. You can get away with that on stage a little bit easier. Fair. But, like, then, like, let's make the sheriff, like, more of a supporting character and then make it all about her character, because her character is infinitely more interesting. She's she's running the chicken ranch, but she's still like this amazing character in in the community. Like she's supporting the little league. Like she's paying pillar to of the fix, community. Yeah, she's fixing stuff in town. Like she's paying for all kinds of stuff. Like it's amazing. So like that's cool. Hmm. And then you don't need the romance, and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, but I think the romance is fun and i also think like i like the complication for the sheriff of like if i shut them down i'm putting my lady out of work it's true that's Mm. never good (laughs) nope so the script is a mess it's not very good let's talk about our director also colin higgins Mm. (laughs) look we already talked about colin higgins for nine to five Nothing really to speak of. Here he's making a lot more choices. He he made choices. He did make choices. I think he could have made more. What? What? I, I, I think he could have made more choices. He could In the busiest made... movie we've seen on this podcast? Yes, I think he could have made more choices to cut more. Oh, because I think I think a lot of things he filmed was good. Like, I I do think a lot of the sequences are really well done, but he needed to tighten them up. So I feel like that's where he he got away from himself. He needed to have a much stronger voice in that editing room for sure. Mm. He needed to say no to himself. Restraint. Restraint. God damn. It's boy. It's tough to figure out for a lot of directors. He needed a buddy to come in and be like, no. Well, I have two who could have been betters. Oh. Or a joint who could have been better, I guess. Peter Masterson and Tommy Toon, who had done the Broadway production, were hired to co-direct the film. Yes, that Texas legend, Tommy Toon. What? Yeah. You didn't know this? No. Now I have to fact check myself. But there's like a whole like Dallas Theater Award named around him because he's from here. I've heard the name Tommy Toon. I don't know enough about Tommy Toon. Born 1939 in Wichita Falls, Texas. Wow, it's it's like uh, Casa Manana. Went to Lamar. Went to Lamar High School in Houston. Yep. Weird. So these guys, these guys helmed the original Broadway production, and they were hired to direct the film. Okay. Which is never the worst move. Like you need to make sure you've got a good cinematographer if you're going to do that. But like. It's not a bad idea when you're doing a Broadway production to bring in the people who did it. Mm-hmm. They know how to stage it, so then you just figure out the camera stuff. However, Universal got cold feet because they didn't have experience, and they brought in Colin Higgins because of the hugely successful 9 to 5. Okay. They thought, we can recreate the magic. Dolly's here. He, he got $100 million off a $10 million movie. Come on. It's a no-brainer. Mm. So you guys just watched 9 to 5, right? Yes. Yes, we did. Uh, It's also on my list of things I haven't managed to see. So how was that comparatively? Um, It's a weird movie. 9 to 5 has a weird middle that you think it's just going to be this workplace dramedy and then it turns into a zany madcap movie all the way coming back around again. Um, Still worth it. Still fun. It's very fun. But it's also a very different movie. That movie is 
you know, it's about women in the workplace. And there's like, there's a mix of really kind of zany humor with some big points made. This movie is like all spectacle all the fucking time. Yeah. Even though there's a lot in here, like a lot. There's a lot. I feel like they needed somebody who had experience with um, with movie musicals. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like, it feels like they wanted to get a lot of the numbers on screen without really paying attention to what was going on between them. Yeah. Because not a lot happens between them. And what does, I think, is the stuff that was added afterwards. So it's part of a different story. <laughs> it's It feels very filler. And... Sometimes that's kind of like how musicals are anyway. <laughs> yeah. And and I say that as the person who loves musicals, it's like that's my thing. But like good musicals that connective tissues in between songs is good and it's organic and it works really well. <laughs> so when you do the movie adaptation, that still has to work. Like you can't just go from spectacle to spectacle. And and not have it feel organic. Yeah, this is yeah. They needed they needed someone who was seasoned with musicals to do this. Yeah, it's weird. They needed that, and they needed a better casting director because I'm gonna say this right now. I don't hate anybody individually in this movie, but the mix of this cast is really really weird. It comes together weird. It for a musical, it's super weird. Now we leave Dolly alone. We leave oh, Dolly alone. Oh no, alone. no, no, no. Dolly? Perfect. We'll leave okay. Dolly alone every mm-hmm. time. I again, nobody's doing a bad job in this movie. But considering he has to sing, Burt Reynolds, I think, is the bad choice here. And let's talk about our cast okay. and start <laughs> with Burt Reynolds as Sheriff okay. Ed Earl Dodd. God, that name is so that's good. such a that's such a southern name. Ed Earl Dodd. Ed Earl Dodd! It's a very Texas name above <laughs> uh, a, a southern name, too. That's, that's a... It Earl. Burt Reynolds yeah. giving that mustache probably the last hurrah of the 80s. I think that things are about to go bad for, like, the concept of the mustache. No, I mean, Tom Selleck's still around. This is only 82. Mm. We're, still, we're still okay with the mustache. So we do have to say, this is the first time we've talked about Burt Reynolds on this show. Oh. Really? First time he's come up, yeah. Before this, he was in a ton of TV and B movies, then broke out with Deliverance, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Too Afraid to Ask, Seamus White Lightning, 1974's The Longest Yard, Silent Movie, Gator, Smokey and the Bandit, Semi-Tough, Hooper, Starting Over, Smokey and the Bandit 2, The Cannonball Run, and Sharky's Machine. After this... He was in Stroker Ace, Smokey and the Bandit Part 3, Cannonball Run 2, City Heat, Breaking In, All Dogs Go to Heaven, The Player, Cop and a Half, Striptease, Bean, Boogie Nights, Mystery Alaska, Driven, Without a Paddle, The 2005, The Longest Yard, The Dukes of Hazard from 2005, and In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale. <laughs> wow. Spending a surprising amount of time with Dom DeLuise. Mm. Yes. What do we think of Burt Reynolds in this movie? He's miscast. Yeah, he's a sheriff from a different movie. Yeah. When he doesn't have to be in a scene with Dolly Parton, because she blows him out of the water charisma-wise throughout this movie. Sure. And mm-hmm. and I think part of it is he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. No. Yeah, like it works when he's underwater, like particularly that first scene with Dom DeLuise where he's getting mm-hmm. dressed and Burt Reynolds is just baffled. I uh-huh. think that works well. Or the or the fight. The mm-hmm. sheriff fight on the square is very Burt Reynolds. It's very cool. Number two, you ain't the law around here, and I am. So don't be telling me what my goddamn job is, or I'll whip your butt so bad it'll look like the stripes on a barber pole. Get him, sheriff. Maybe mean, but he's ours. Number three, no sawed-off little pecker is going to accuse me of taking a bribe and live to tell about it. Because I wear the badge in this goddamn county. So you listen and listen good, you over-padded televising turd. If I ever see you or any of those little bastards that work for you in my town again, I'm going to knock you so flat you're going to have to roll down your socks to shut. <laughs> but anytime he's, in, anytime he's at the ranch, anytime he's in the room with Dolly, she is outclassing him the entire time. And it's interesting because we've seen... Bert be with strong leaning women 
and be awesome. I I really feel like it's he is super intimidated by her. I mm. think so. Which I find kind of hilarious and also damn right. <laughs> well, and I mean, like, you think about the fact that he had this run of movies with Sally Field, where it's like they're a perfect match. He and Sally Field had just an completely unknowable chemistry that just sure. played magically. Like all the smoking the bandit stuff, Hooper, every bit of it, they just work perfectly. Now Dolly's in the room, and Dolly's so much bigger. And also, like, they're he's out of his element in terms of music. She sure. she blows away this entire film, and he's like, I I have to be on screen with this. Anytime yeah. he has to sing, it's not good. The one no. time. Yeah. And they kind of Henry Higgins it for him, and it's not yes. terrible. Yeah. But they didn't they didn't lean into that with him. Like they should have mm-hmm. just done the Rex Harrison and have him like speak sing the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Where it's like he's gonna be bad at singing. Who gives a fuck? Let's let him be bad at singing. But they actually made him like try to be kind of good, and that's where it doesn't work at all. You can just tell he has no confidence in what he's doing. He's so and, stiff. And mm-hmm. that takes away his sex appeal in those scenes. Yep. And just makes me less interested in watching him, which is not what you want in your leading man, you know? And it's it's funny, like, I almost think that, like, swap out him and Jim Neighbors, and I bet you he would have killed this. Oh, that'd be fascinating. <laughs> it, would, it would be fascinating. Like, he has the wrong look against Dolly Parton, but also I kind of think that would be an amazing acting uh, experiment. Actually, I want to see Jim Neighbors, like... Play that scene in the bedroom that go. That's one of the scenes that goes on too long. But I was just like, mm-hmm. I want to see what he does in that scene. No, nah, like, I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. I want to see. I want to see Jim Neighbors in that kind of situation. That's what I want in my life. Like, I don't think so, but I don't know, and I'm interested in finding out. Exactly. That's why. <laughs> well, how about I give the actual who could have been betters for this movie? Yes, please. So. For the role of Ed Earl Dodd, Willie Nelson. I mean, that's a totally different take, but interesting. And this is 1982 Willie. So Willie's not like, he's not old wrinkled grandpa yet. He's still kind of outlaw Willie. I mean, I want to see Willie and Dolly sing all day, every day. So Yes, please. Me. And I don't even really like country music, but yes. Here's one with the good looks to match the singing ability. Chris Christopherson. Okay. Here's where you get it. Chris Christopherson has the exact same look and feel of Burt Reynolds. Chris Christopherson can sing. Mm. Yes, he can. He's a damn good singer. I mean, sort of the obvious thing to say in this situation is is Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers would be very good in this role. Because like Kenny and Dolly go hand in hand. They do. I don't think Kenny was quite. I mean, I say that he would be he would be up for an Oscar the next year. (laughs) Yeah. And. Maybe not in the singing category, but also with a lot of the charm, Gene Hackman was up for this role. Okay, but Gene Hackman would have done really well with talk singing. He would have committed to the bit. Yeah, he knows how to go all in. Yeah, he can commit and they would figure it out and Hackman would Hackman would be comfortable just playing that. Yes. Because mm-hmm. Hackman is comfortable just riffing with it. Yeah, he wouldn't be like this wilted flower next to Dolly. Boy, it is, it's a toss-up to a screenshot for me between Christofferson and Hackman. Yeah. Because Chris Christofferson is like what we saw, but infinitely better. Mm. Yeah. And Gene Hackman is interesting new take. Yeah, okay. I, I'm going to say no to Hackman because you know what? His look then would be almost too similar to Dom DeLuise. Mm-hmm. They do look, they have a similar look. Which is weird because Dom DeLuise doesn't look like Dom DeLuise here. Exactly. But like the way they have him look in this movie, they look they would look similar. Even young Gene Hackman, they would look a little similar. That could that I mean costuming, but still. Mm. They look a yeah. I'm gonna mm. say no, I'm I'm gonna go with Christopherson there. All right, well let's talk about the woman who is fantastic. We're gonna leave her alone because she's that good. It's Dolly Parton playing Miss Mona Stangley. We just talked about her for nine to five. She mostly plays herself in movies, but why not? She's Dolly fucking Parton. Yep. What do we think of Dolly? I think she pretty much blows it away the whole time. That woman makes jokes so well. Oh my god. 
Mm-hmm. She's so funny. Like, I'm sorry, but I love, I do love that scene where Ed comes home. And he's just like, man, like watching you get undressed is half the fun. And then she like pulls the curtain back. She's like, that's why I waited. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that's so funny. Yeah. And she's just adorably cute because she's both, she's both being cute and sexy at the same time. And it's just like, damn it. You're the best, Dolly. And then sometimes she's also really vulnerable in a way that is surprising in this movie. Yes. That's Dolly. Yeah. And like you wish that someone else was bringing that to the scene because she's doing something that just isn't in this movie. Ugh. when, yeah, when she sings her, you know, one of her trademark songs, it's just uh, like, what, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Why are you making me have feelings? Damn it, Dolly. The fact that they back to back hard candy Christmas and I will always love you and have her get to play it so emotionally. It's one of those moments where you go, okay, I get why this is an outstanding musical. Cause if you wrap this musical up, holy shit. Like that's Mm -hmm. the moment where I went, oh yeah, I get why this was so good. Just the way she's able to transform that. And that's Dolly Parton. Like she's always been able to do that. That woman could go on hee haw and then sing a song that'll break your heart. All right. Like, (laughs) So if she could do that, she can do this. Easy. Who could have been better? No one. No one. I mean, you like I could see this with someone like more targeted, but <laughs> I don't sure. no, 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 no. I don't know that no it would be worth it. You know why? Because we leave Dolly alone. We, we leave, leave Dolly, Dolly alone. alone. But I will say this. They picked two country singers, so at least there's that. Respect. Barbara Mandrell and Crystal Gale. I don't know who those are people are. I know they're both country singers and they're both, you know, big personality country singers. So, hey, you pick somebody else who's a who's a big time country singer to do this. If Dolly's not willing to. okay, I'll take it. You know, I'll accept it because one of them could look. They all got personality. Every single one of those women did. Correct. But uh, no, it's Dolly all day. Next up is Dom DeLuise playing Melvin, the journalist. Before this, he was in 1964's Failsafe, The Twelve Chairs, Blazing Saddles, Silent Movie, The Muppet Movie, Smokey and the Bandit 2, History of the World Part 1, The Cannonball Run, and The Secret of Nim. After this, Cannonball Run 2, Johnny Dangerously, An American Tale, Spaceballs as Pizza the Hut, Oliver and Company, All Dogs Go to Heaven, An American Tale, Five Goes West, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, The Silence of the Hams, All Dogs Go to Heaven 2, and Baby Geniuses. He was Pizza the Hut. <laughs> oh, I love Dom DeLuise. <laughs> I forgot about Pizza the Hut. Pizza the Hut's amazing. What do we think of Dom DeLuise? This is such a weird role for him. Weirdly understated in a way for him. Yeah, it's there's there's so much going on just on top of who Dom DeLuise is. Mm-hmm. It is appropriately campy. You know what it is? It's the accent. It's something. And here's why I say that. The accent, he's hes messing around, right? Because he, he reveals very quickly he's a New Jersey boy and he's faking yes. a Houston accent. Mm. Sure. And, and a Houston East Texas accent is a very specific thing. Like he made that very specific choice to do the kind of Cajun. It's like half Cajun and half Texas twang. It's like this weird thing because Houston and that area is right on the Gulf. But then he mixes in and out of it, but he's doing it so subtly that it never makes a lot of sense. Which makes sense, in a way. It, it does, except that it's really distracting. <laughs> yeah. And it makes, it makes it a lot harder for him to hit the comedic beats. Because I think, like, Dom DeLuise is a man known for being the biggest personality on screen. Mm-hmm. And yet he's working so hard to stay in this character that he's missing some of those beats. That's fair. Also, he's beardless, which is very distracting. The wig is also incredibly distracting. It's a bit much, but I think that's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I like his character. I don't think he's necessarily bad, but there's an element here where it's like, this feels lackluster, and it doesn't feel like it's because you don't care. It feels like you're trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's almost it's just confusing to look at and hear a lot of the time. Yeah. And, you know, that's what's funny is like this movie is so incredibly complicated at times when it's a pretty simple premise. Yeah. Only like three things happen. They did not have to make this really complicated. (laughs) I don't know. 
Dom DeLuise's character, Melvin P. Thorpe, was based on an actual newsman, Marvin Zindler, who actually brought down the chicken ranch in real life. The incident where the sheriff snatches the wig off Thorpe's head and holds it high actually happened between Zindler and the Fayette County Sheriff. So that's entertaining. And Zindler, on who Thorpe is based, liked the play but did not like the film. He said that his crusade of the chicken ranch was taken out of context. He wasn't trying to get it shut down because of sex work, but because of its ties to organized crime and other shady business dealings. Which is true. The chicken ranch was like the center of corruption in the state of Texas. So interesting notes there. Now, let's talk about two of our scene stealers for this movie. And we start with the incomparable Charles Durning playing the governor. This is just amazing. Before this, he was in Hi Mom, Dealing, Sisters from 1972, The Sting, The Front Page, Dog Day Afternoon, which we've talked about, The Hindenburg, Twilight's Last Gleaming, The Fury, An Enemy of the People, The Muppet Movie, North Dallas 40, When a Stranger Calls, Starting Over, The Final Countdown, and Sharky's Machine. After this, he was in Tootsie, Scarface, Two of a Kind, To Be or Not to Be, Death of a Salesman from 1985, Dick Tracy, The Hudsucker Proxy, IQ, One Fine Day, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, State and Maine, played Peter's dad Francis on Family Guy, and the television show Rescue Me. Hmm, okay. What do we think of Charles Durning in this movie? So were I an editor, I would cut this character entirely. Oh, no. Well, were I editing the script? However, this is one of the best things about the entire film. Holy fuck. Sure. He's so good. So good. He's fabulous, and his scenes are so fun. But yeah, I I agree. On the page, I probably would have cut this out, but it's too fun on screen to cut it out of the movie. Like, everything he does is perfect. That song that they wrote for that character is is maybe the best song in the entire musical. And this is a musical with Dolly Parton in it. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. With Dolly Parton songs that she wrote for this movie. That's yes. Mm. And that is the best song in the movie Be- because it is a pure musical song and it is performed as such. Mm-hmm. And it works like that. Just And he did it that way. I'll say this. The the song itself, it's very standard. It's the lyrics that are just so good. The way that they wrote him giving speeches that say nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> nothing. And then he just dances off. Says I don't speak out as plain as day and fellow Texans. I'm for progress and the flag. Long may it fly. I'm a poor boy. Come to greatness. So it follows that I cannot tell a lie. What the hell did he say? Same as usual, not a damn thing. Ooh, I love to dance a little sidestep. Now they see me, now they don't have come and gone. And ooh, I love to sweep around. My partner's father is a local politician. When we <laughs> were re- when I was rewatching this movie today, I pulled her over because this is just him (laughs) (laughs) no shade yeah and it's amazing and like the way that he plays everything like when he's not talking to someone as just a naughty toddler (laughs) is so good amazing look we we said this in the sting we said this about dog day afternoon (sighs) he might be the best character actor we've ever seen i mean he is in the top for sure because anytime you bring him in, he just gives some type of extra flavor that you know is going to make the movie good. Mm-hmm. Like when I was looking through the credits, I was like, oh, that's Doc Hopper. Of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, just when you bring him in, you bring him in as a ringer for whatever featured character that you need to really shine. And damned if he did not do that and steal this movie. Absolutely. And finally, we've already talked about him before. Watch Jim Nipers as Deputy Fred. <laughs> He's a singer and actor and all-around TV personality. He was a country singer before he did any of his acting. Um, but before this, he was on the Andy Griffith Show and Gomer Pyle, USMC. And after this, he was in Stroker Ace and Cannonball Run 2. Just amazing. Like I did not know Jim Nipers was in this starting out. 
And then he was the first voice I heard, the first face I saw telling me about a great whorehouse. And I'm like, yes, Jim, I am on board. It was the nicest little whorehouse you ever saw. Oh my God. His narration, the opening narration, I went, holy shit, what? Gomer Pyle's going to tell us the story? And like, so at the start of this movie, there's like five, ten minutes before we get to the present. And if we were talking about like genre fiction, we'd say, this is an info dump. And we'd be critical of the whole concept. This is how you do an info dump, is you put it in the hands of a charming ass motherfucker. (laughs) And an aw shucks guy. And what I do love is they let him be aw shucks while also knowing exactly what the hell's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he's not a yokel. No, he's open-minded. He's cool with everyone. He's just, he's just like, oh, I don't need to do that. I I got my wife at home. No, no, no. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's no judgment. Like, he's not an idiot, but it's just like, this is just the way things are, and that's okay. These are my people. Uh, I I love that. It's like the sweet, wholesome version of Gomer Pyle, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Gomer Pyle is sweet and wholesome it's just gomer Pyle is very simple-minded yeah and 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 has very little exposure to the world yeah and fred is just fred is more fred of just has like, been exposed to the world i'm just here you know we just do our thing uh-oh that newsman's coming back no, gomer Pyle is amelia bedelia you are mm-hmm. not wrong mm-hmm. that's what it is mm-hmm. <laughs> that's i just connected those dots i'm sorry country amelia bedelia Look, the the movie the movie is a bit of a mess, but you know Dolly's amazing, and those two are worth the price of admission. They're so, they're so fun. <laughs> yeah, like at this point, there's no there's no point where I would object to th- someone throwing this movie on just because so many people carry it so well. Yeah, there's so many moments that are that are worth it. And that is it for our main cast. So we move on to our pawns, random people of note. We have Teresa Merritt playing Jewel. She was on That's My Mama and in Billy Madison. Barry Corbin playing CJ. He is a recognizable big old boy from uh, movies. You've seen him in No Country for Old Men, War Games, and Northern Exposure. That's Maurice J. Minifield. (laughs) He owns the town in Northern Exposure, an amazing television series. We have Howard K. Smith playing himself. We have talked about this man so many times. <laughs> he was a longtime CBS newsman. He was the anchor in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He shows up in every freaking movie. Uh, Edie Lehman Boddicker playing Doggett. She was a singer and vocal consultant within the movie industry and performed one small thing for My Little Pony the movie. Huh. <gasps> we have Gregory Itzen. A member of Melvin's crew, he was President, Vice President Charles Logan on 24. Helen Klebe playing Dora. She was Mamie Baldwin on The Waltons. Mickey Jones playing Henry. He was the mechanic that threatens Clark Griswold into giving up his money in vacation. (laughs) Alice Drummond playing the governor's secretary. She was Mrs. Finkel in Ace Ventura, the librarian in Ghostbusters, and Nana, who dies twice on Friends. Oh, that's who that was. That was the librarian yes! from Ghostbusters. We've talked about her before. <laughs> and finally, Kay Parker playing a World War II girl. She is an actual porn star from the 80s. Oh, nice. And that gets us to trivia. Trivia. While filming the ending scene, Burt Reynolds got a double hernia from picking up Dolly Parton. He often joked to Dolly that he'd think of her every time he got a pang of pain. Aww. Miss Mona and Ed Earl's conversation about Jesus and Mary Magdalene was completely ad-libbed. That's pretty cool. That That's awesome. <laughs> Burt Reynolds and Jim Neighbors, who played law enforcement officers in the film, were the sons of Southern policemen. Nice. The world premiere of this movie in Texas was held at the Paramount Theater in Austin. To celebrate the occasion, cast and crew flocked to the area for a two-day celebration, which included a lavish parade throughout the city, a concert held in front of the house, which was used as the Chicken Ranch. And those festivities were chronicled in a syndicated television special called The Best Little Special in Texas. (laughs) Very cute. That's so Texas. The Chicken Ranch house went on to be the Firefly residence in 2003's House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm. Huh. 
The exterior of the chicken ranch was erected on the Universal lot where the Bates house from Psycho originally stood. The Bates house was moved to a permanent location because filming was beginning on Psycho 2 that came out in 1983. The set is still up on the Universal lot in 2011, uh, the chicken ranch, and was used in The Ghost Whisperer. Okay. This was the first movie production ever to be allowed to film inside the pink granite dome of the Austin, Texas Capitol building. Those scenes were filmed from October 6th through 9th, and the bulk of footage was shot at night in order to keep from inconveniencing workers and visitors, though many workers lost their parking spaces that week so that the studio's 18-wheelers could be in the parking lot. Which, if you know anything about Austin, that's a nightmare. That sucks. Yeah. Let's talk about the songs. So, Dolly Parton has a song about a hard candy Christmas that's used in this movie. So fucking good. So good. Uh, especially all the all the ladies singing it along with her. Mm-hmm. It makes it work so it's well. It's very good. Maybe I'll sleep real late. Maybe I'll lose some weight. Maybe I'll clear my junk. Maybe I'll just get drunk on apple wine. Me, I'll be just fine dandy. Lord, it's like a hard candy Christmas. I'm barely getting Yeah, I'm glad they all got a chance to be characters sort of towards the end. Mm-hmm. Because they're yeah. like, they're all great performers, but the movie is not about them. Correct. It's funny because, like, especially around here, you kind of hear that as a one-off song that they'll play during, like, Christmas radio stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just Dolly singing it. When you see it in context with the women and they're all singing different lines of the verses, you start to go, oh, this is like a tailor-made musical song. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And it just makes so much more sense in context. The line refers to being disappointed or down, of course. Uh, filled candies were not as available in the 1930s through the 1950s, likely due to the Depression and the war efforts, and so they were expensive at the time. Children usually got chocolate-covered filled candy at Christmas time as a treat, and if their families were having financial problems, all they would get were cheap, hard candies, which would leave them disappointed. Okay. And Dolly Parton's hit, I Will Always Love You, of course, was composed and released 10 years before this movie on her album, Jolene. Which, of course. Hmm. We know. Um, however, her songs Cowboy's Ways and A Gamble Either Way were written specifically for this movie, despite being released on her personal albums instead of appearing in the movie. Okay. It's funny because I'm the exact age to think of that, to think of I Will Always Love You as a Whitney Houston song specifically oh, yeah. from right. a movie. From The Bodyguard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's one thing when you discover, oh, that's a Dolly Parton song. That's really cool. And then when you later discover that's a Dolly Parton song that already appeared in a movie and that movie was the best little whorehouse in Texas. <laughs> and then they repurposed it for a serious movie about a bodyguard. And, and it's one of the best vocal performances in the movie. Mm-hmm. Her singing that song to Burt Reynolds is one of the most heartbreaking musical scenes I've ever seen on film. Yeah, like I kind of stopped. I was like, wait, is this, is this what we're doing? I did not know y'all were going to do this. Whoa. The only thing I'm upset about is that they didn't pull it back for a tiny final reprise Mm -hmm. after he walks out, Mm -hmm. which I know doesn't quite fit with the like sort of we're tumbling towards the end there. But like, I really wish they had let it kind of finish out because she gets stopped right in the middle. Yeah. Although I will say I watched it for a second time today and I noticed that it's in a lot of the incidental music for the a few scenes leading up to it, like just in yeah. the score, it's just like drifting in and out. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't even spot that. Yeah, they're, they're trying to tell us. Telling us it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Okay, but then if you had to choose Dolly Parton or Whitney Houston, which one are you picking? I mean, I got to go with Dolly. No, no disrespect because yes! those are two legends. <laughs> yes. But I mean, they're one both of them very is Dolly Parton. Yes. And one of them is Whitney Houston. Yeah. Let us please. Okay. Not denigrate Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. There's no shade. Whitney Houston's version is iconic. I love Dolly Parton's. Thank you for the check. <laughs> like That's the what way she, she says. Ta- 
That's what she says about it. Thank you for the check. <laughs> she met Whitney and she said, you just take my song, honey. <laughs> no worries. Just that there's just so many more layers of vulnerability in the Dolly Parton version. And that's what makes me love that song. It's simpler. So much more in her version. Whitney's version is gorgeous. I will never not like hearing it. I prefer Dolly's. That's that's just where I'm at with that. No, no shade to Whitney Houston. And that leads us to our ratings. So, Vin, for each one of our films, we have a specific ratings system. And what is our rating system for this movie going to be? How many hard candies? Mm, hard candies don't show up in the movie, though, right? But she sings about them. Hats? Cowboy hats? Cowboy hats. A lot of hat Wigs. acting going on in this Toupees. film. There is a lot of hat acting. A lot of hat fiddling, hat fixing. I mean, we could always go with whorehouses. The whorehouses. How many Aggies? Oh, there we go. Yeah, we, we go. We skipped over a full chat on the Aggie dance number, which is something else. Boy, that's the gayest thing I've yeah, ever seen. Like the fact that there's there is, a deeply homoerotic dance number in this movie is, really is gonna give it another half whorehouse just for just for having something for everyone. It is the gayest dance ever. And also the choreography <laughs> is kind of amazing. Just like choreographies. Spectacular. That is the best. It's just that there's too much of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the synchronicity that those guys have throughout that entire extended scene is really something. Yeah. Yeah. It's the gayest scene ever. Mm. And I am here for it. It's gayer than Top Gun. And I'm here for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, how many are we going to give this movie? Uh, for me, I'm going to go three. Like, I'm really entertained by this movie. I gave nine to five to three and a half because I was a little bit harsh on that movie. This one, it's like, it feels like a total mess. And <laughs> there's a lot of different reasons for that. But I still really enjoyed myself watching it. And right at the moment where I felt like, Ooh, I don't know about this movie, then they'd pull me back in. So, like, it's a hot mess. But everybody should watch it because it's super fucking fun. And it's one of those movies that you could turn it on and not be mad because you're gonna you're gonna get to laugh mm -hmm. at one of those bits again. But it's it's a solid three for me. Then, so this is tricky because if I were coming at it from a purely critical standpoint, I might I might go with you towards a three. I think, however, from a just it's a movie that like any single part of it is extremely fun to be watching. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm gonna go towards like a. Three and three quarters. Ooh. Because there's there's no point where I'm like, oh, this bit's coming up next. That's because it there's whatever's next is always interesting and energetic and fun. And like there's always someone to steal the show. <laughs> yeah. It's very sex worker positive, which like it is. The fact that this movie got made, got made with a huge country star. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't think you could do that today. No. It would all be played as a joke. Yeah. Whereas this is- And this one's not. It's very wholesome in a way <laughs> that, like, like I, I sometimes get a little, like, weirded out by the word wholesome because I'm, like, I'm old enough to remember when that was a bludgeon in media criticism. Sure. But, like, it's wholesome in a good way. And, like, it's got a big, totally self-aware- homoerotic dance number. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go three and three quarters. Okay. All right. Diana. I was going to say three, but I forgot about the Aggies. Mm -hmm. I had forgotten about the Aggies, so I can't quite go four. Like, my heart won't let it be four. So I'm going to go three and a half. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, like, my, my major, like, downticks are because the story, it's just, it goes on too long. There's no reason this movie should be two hours. None. And it doesn't really end. There's no, no. climax in this film. Yeah, it's a lot of foreplay. And the foreplay's great. Mm. It's great. But the things that are amazing don't get to shine because there's so much blech that just needs to be edited. So, again, this is one of those films that's like, can I edit this movie, please, and make it better and, like, get rid of some of the fluff? I mean, you can. You can. Yeah, I just need to learn Final Cut Pro and yeah. with all my free time. It's just a lot of fucking work, but you could. And, you know, I'll be done. It'll be great. <laughs> no worries. 
Yeah, I'll just do that. I'll add that to the list of all the other movies I'm going to re-edit to fix them because the good movie's in there and they'll be perfect. So many. <laughs> so many. So many that I planned on mm. doing that with. Yeah, it's a three and a half. But yeah, that half point is for the Aggies. But you know what? Everybody needs to watch it. They do. Everyone needs to watch this. It's it's a requirement. No one will have a bad time. Yeah, yeah. It'll be fun. Well, then that leads us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about this wonderful little movie. Well, thank you all for having me. And if people wanted to find more of you on the wide, wonderful interwebs, where could they find you? Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. My podcast, The Chimera, is on all your basic podcast apps and on Twitter at ChimeraPod and at thechimera.space. If you want to hear some weird role-playing in the Dungeons and Dragons sense, not in the, the any of the other senses. <laughs> and then I also have some uh, micro tabletop role-playing games up for sale on itch at mrreciprocity.itch.io. All right. Well, that'll do it until next time when we're going to be talking about an officer and a gentleman. A gentleman. All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also, that pink dome sucks. <laughs> it's not that interesting. Here, okay, so here, if you are drivable distance to the capital, usually at some point in your elementary days, you get to go on a trip to Austin, which means you go to the governor's mansion and you go to the capital. It's boring as fuck. <laughs> the Alamo, terrible. It's one of the most boring fucking places on the face of the planet. I've lived here my whole life and I've never been to the Alamo. No, thank you. Don't bother. <laughs> It's four displays and a plaque. That's the Alamo. Mm. All you got to do is remember it. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Oops. Oh, no. Also, I don't know why we revere the place where we fucking lost. Yeah. Because it's not as fun for field trips, I guess. Hi, y'all, Texas. All right. <laughs>